0: Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. We have been studying the book of 2 Corinthians, which is Paul's second epistle to the church of Corinth. And um, two and three weeks ago, um, prior to our week of prayer and fasting, we took um, two weeks to go through the concept of, of fasting. And in um, discussing there <clears throat> the need for um, us to be spending time with prayer and fasting, looking at this um, kind of as a hiatus, but really a, um, a heightening of this first portion from Second Corinthians 10, um, verses 1 to 6, in that where we're told that we do not wrestle um, uh, with or we do not war according to the flesh, Um, but the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God, Um, because the fact that we are in the midst of this spiritual war, and that's where um, I have as a reminder of where we are in this context. With verse 1 and 2, Paul was talking about getting into this next context of his letter um, of spiritual afflictions, if you would, um, as we get into chapter 11 in a few weeks, talking specifically about how there are workers of the devil that are um, actually portraying themselves as ministers of righteousness, pastors of churches um, who are um, not teaching the truth, but actually are leading the 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 body astray, or at least those who are called by his name, or at least call themselves by his name, anyway. Um, we know again as a reminder from last week that in the end times Jesus said that there would be false prophets and salt, false Christ who would come and they would be able to do wonderful things that if it was possible they would be able to deceive even the very elect. The idea is that they won't be able to deceive the very elect, but that the things that they're able to do are gonna be very persuasive. And it's not gonna be necessarily a new thing because as we see Paul is gonna be talking about here that this was already going on um, in the, the early church. So think Paul, I mean, this is only 30 years or so after the resurrection of Christ. And so already in the church, there were already false teachers, false Christs. Um, we know from uh, John's epistle, first epistle, to the churches as well, that there were um, antichrists that were already um, in the church who were seeking to lead the people astray. And so Paul um, is talking here about how the need for him to become bold um, and that he doesn't want to do that. And so I shared with this comment as we get into this, is that when you begin to hear, Mark, we need to mute everybody else. Um, when you begin to share the truth of God's word and seek to live according to its standards, you will find opposition. And so you will find opposition. It, it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen. Um, and if you seek to be just um, camouflaged to, um, in, your, in your relationship with Christ so that no one around you knows it, then you're not going to face the, the, the opposition. But again, as we talked about last week from the, the, um, the, the armor of God, I kind of struggle with whether it's real in your life. If, if Jesus doesn't come out of your mouth, Romans chapter 10, then the question is whether he is in your heart. And so last week, then we began to discuss this even more. So two, three weeks ago, we talked about prayer and fasting. Last week, we then talked about the weapons of our warfare, that they come from Ephesians chapter 6. And going through those, we talked about the belt of truth, and I'm not going to go through them all right now, but we talked about how they they build on one another, that God desires all men to be saved to come to the knowledge of truth. So he's given us that truth in his word. He's given us the church to be the guardians of the truth as well. And then he's given it to us that we might be able to speak it to others. In the, the core of that truth comes into that breastplate of righteousness that it is not my own righteousness by which I stand, but rather my righteousness is like a filthy rag and that Jesus, God in the flesh came and that he who knew no sin became sin, became my sin, your sin that we might become his righteousness. And so there was the great exchange that that went on. Um, He swapped his robes for my robes. And so he took on my robes of filth, my sin and, and, slaughtered them there on the cross in order that my I might be able to put on his robes of righteousness and so he's done the work there's nothing for me to do other than to believe that he's done it that then leads into this footwear of the gospel having my feet prepared with the, the preparation of the gospel of peace that when I come to understand and, and experience the exchange and I recognize and realize the the greatness of what he's done for me it, that this reconciliation that God has given to me, I then want to go and take this to others and to be able to share it with others. But again, we're told that it's the preparation of the gospel of peace. And so there needs to be this preparation within me as well. And I shared the fact that if you can only share Romans 6:23, the wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You can share the gospel. The gospel is there in a nutshell that then leads to the shield of faith. Cause then as we go forth, sharing the gospel, that's where this opposition thing is going to occur, this spiritual um, affliction that comes in, that um, Satan's going to be firing his fiery darts at you. That doesn't sound like an exciting proposition, but Jesus said very clearly, count it all joy, brethren, when you, when you um, um, well, that's James 1, when you fall into divers temptation. But Jesus said, blessed are you when men re- persecute you and revile you for my namesake that um if they've done it to him they will do it to those who stand for his name and so we then carry the shield of faith and the object of our faith is god he is the one um to whom will then deflect uh, those and protect us as well the helmet of salvation which he has given to us to protect our head um that we trust and we rely upon him for that salvation and then having the sword of the spirit which is the word of god being able to being ready um to be able to give a defense to everyone who asks us a reason for the hope that's within us, but having done everything to pray, to pray for all the saints with all prayer and supplications. And so the power of prayer is that which then um, overrides, I don't say overrides, but um, just goes over the entirety of the, the armor. It's that which brings us power. And so that we're told to be praying people. And so, in that then, those are the weapons of our warfare that we've talked about then as we come through. But the, the next step is then, is this this discussing of then, what do we use them for? Because it's nice that we have those things, but the fact is that God hasn't given us this armor that we can, you know, like in um today, you know, you go to a castle or something like that. They've got this um, uh The armor of a knight standing up in a corner or whatever, you know, that's empty sitting there. Well, that's not the purpose of it. Is just to have the the armor um, being, you know, put up as a uh, just as a nice little token for us to to think about, you know. And but sometimes we we think about that. That's all we do. Is that we say, oh yeah, and the armor of God. That's really kind of cool. But rather, we're supposed to put on the whole armor of God that we may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And having done all to stand. And that means that we're standing against something, that there is something that is bringing us affliction, something that's bringing us opposition. There is something that's bringing trials and tribulation in our life that we are to be able to stand against. And so Paul then talks about this in Second Corinthians 10, 1 to 6, beginning of verse 3, I'm going to read uh, verses 3 to 6, and we're going to begin to look at this second phase. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God. For a, pulling down strongholds; b, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God; c, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ; and d, being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Today we're going to just talk about the first one. Again, as I have studied this out, um, all this last week, this week, and then two weeks from now, Lord willing, maybe it'll be more than that it was all supposed to be one message, but the Lord has just really opened this up. And, and this one today that we're going to talk about today is really over the years. Uh, I have heard many people talk about this passage, that pulling down of strongholds and, um, and then, later, when it talks about taking every thought bringing every thought into captivity um, in the the discussion usually is revealing talking about um, strongholds of an individual believer's life. but what I want to show you as before as we come into this is this context that that this is playing in in chapter ten and chapter um, eleven and then coming through what we just talked about with the armor of God that really it's not me focused this is all the word of god focused that this is all regarding how there are going to be those who withstand the truth who who resist the truth being spoken resist the truth being shared resist the truth being revealed that they don't want any part of that and so that as we come through each one of these four things that there's going to be this common theme of these opposers, if you would, the truth. Now, with that, as we look at this, I think that you're going to see that each one of these four are interwoven with one another. Um, but that these strongholds we're going to talk about today, I'm going to talk about four, Lord willing, four strongholds that I believe are very clear um, in the Word of God, and that that. Every one of them, as we look at these things, really are going to continually tie back to truth, the belt of truth. Again, remember, it was that belt of truth that holds everything together. And so it is the core of truth that is being attacked. Um, and so, just as an aside, um, as we go through this, I mean, you think about evolution. Evolution is, is attacking the, the, the very beginning, the very core of all truth. Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and then he tells us specifically that he created the heavens and the earth in six 24 hours days, and then he rested the seventh day. And so the, the concept of evolution is to attack the very core, and then even the, the practice of homosexuality is, is again attacking the core um, all the way back in Genesis chapter 2 of what, how God created and what God's plans are. And so, again, with the concept of evolution, if you can have death before the creation or the evolution, by their standards, of man, then really you get rid of this whole concept that that um, death is brought in by the consequence of sin, which means that you undermine, undermine the whole need for the sacrifice of Christ. And so... Um, so this whole concept then of the attacking of the truth is exactly what was going on then as well. In Paul's day, they were attacking the, the grace of God and then they were the false teachers teaching then uh, this. Um, okay. Did I, did I go away there guys and just come back? Yeah. Okay. I'm not sure what's happening here. So I'm going to, I'm going to start this again and pick it up from where we're at. I hope. That's kind of weird. Spiritual war, huh? Isn't that fun?
1: Yeah, exactly. you
0: just mentioned homosexuality and said like one sentence after that and you went away. Okay, yeah, isn't that fun? I mean, this, the spirit, of, so you can be praying for that as well. Isn't that kind of fun? Okay, I'm going to see if I can go backwards here. A slide. Okay. Um. So just about the the attack on truth then. And so we talked about um, evolution. We talked about um, homosexuality, and so um, again, whether someone again at this point is watching over us and um, didn't like what I was saying and 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 cut me out, or whether however this is playing out. But what a, what a uh, picture of the the battle that we're going through right now, where um, Satan doesn't want his word taught at all. So um, yeah, so. We're gonna first of all talk about this this first stronghold, and the first stronghold is the stronghold of ignorance. And so now you get my slide rather than piece by piece, but that's okay too. Um, and the first step here is the inadvertent ignorance that that goes on. Um, and I call it inadvertent because there is a point where there are people out there who just they don't know. They 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 are ignorant. And the word and that sounds like I'm being ignorant even talking about ignorance, but literally the the. The Greek word is where we get our word agnostic from. They are without knowledge. They have no knowledge. And so, and we see that Paul use this term um, to each of these three churches that you see on here. to The Church of Rome, the Church of Thessalonica, and the Church of Corinth. Hopefully you got the email with all the the um, verses on it. I'm going to be reading a lot of verses. We've got a lot of verses we're going to go through. You have them there on the screen But I'm going to read through them. In in Romans 10, Paul was talking to the church of Rome, talking about the children of Israel. And he says, I'm going to start at verse 1. He says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant, without knowledge, of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. And so there is this ignorance regarding, again, then the breastplate right off the bat from the the concept of the belt of truth to the breastplate of righteousness. There are many people out there who honestly, I I think, are, um, have an inadvertent ignorance. I think of the law where you have people who were with unintentional sin. And so there was the sacrifices for unintentional sin that inadvertently um, they are trying to be please God with their own righteousness. Um, they're being led astray um, by false teachers in that. We'll talk about that as we go, but you can think of various um, uh, religions, uh, various, various sects, if you would, even within Christianity, and I, I question um, whether we, call it, we should call them cults or whatever, because they, again, are teaching a, a quote-unquote gospel of works, which isn't the true gospel. And so, therefore, people are looking to, to bring up their own self-righteousness, and they're ignorant, just as these, um, Israel was. And so Paul's desire was for, for, for them to come to know the truth, that, that it wasn't their own um, spirituality, but that it was actually their own righteousness, but that it was Christ's righteousness that does it for them. But then he goes on in chapter 11 and, and then brings us then to the church proper. And he says, for I do not desire, this is verse 25, chapter 11, I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you be wise in your own opinion that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Now, I don't have time to get into what he was talking about, but it, we did have a series on this with dispensationalism. Um, where we're talking about how the church is um, not replacing Israel at all. There is a lot of replacement theology that's out there. And again, I can't get into all that with the covenant theology and reform theology that's out there. That's wrong. And that's what Paul's talking about here right now. That, but there's going to come a time where the fullness of the Gentiles are going to come in, and God's going to, once again, he's going to start working through his nation Israel. We see Israel as a nation again right now. And once again, he's going to work through them. And so God, through Paul, doesn't want the church to be ignorant of this stuff. And so there are people who are without knowledge. And again, so I think there are people in churches today who are being taught wrong theology, and they are ignorant of it. Um, And we're going to see in a moment that I think that a lot of this inadvertent ignorance shouldn't be um, inadvertent ignorance. To the church of Thessalonica, Thessalonica, he wrote in chapter 4, verse 13, he says, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. Well, in this passage, and again, I'm reading just a verse to show you that word, but you can go out and read the greater context. He's talking about the harpazo, or commonly referred to as the rapture of the church. Rapturo is the Latin word that is used to translate the Greek word harpazo, but it's what we call the rapture of the church, the, the catching away of the church. And Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant of that. I, because again, in that day to the, the, the church of Thessalonica, already there were false teachers telling them that it already happened, that Jesus had already come back. Well, that's kind of interesting, um, because Paul was saying, look, this isn't how it's gonna happen. And then he gives them details of how it happens, of how Jesus is gonna come in the cloud and he's going to, you know, come with the, the, the mighty shout. And, and, um, and then he tells the church at Corinth that it's going to be at the last trump. And so he gives us these great details of prophecy that we're not supposed to be ignorant of. And so he tells um, the, the church of Thessalonica elsewhere that we shouldn't be those who are walking in darkness, but rather we should be children of light so that we shouldn't be ignorant. They were inadvertently. They were ignorant. But he's telling them, look, you oughtn't be. You shouldn't be. And then in the church of Corinth, he says to them in chapter 10, and um, a whole uh, half of the chapter, verses 1 to 22, actually, but I'm going to read verse 1, and then I'll give you the context. He says, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware, or literally, it's our word, ignorant again, that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea. And then down in verse 7, he gives us the, 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 the context part of it. And do not become idolaters as some of them were. And so his desire for them, and then I'll read verse, chapter 12, verse 1, because it's the same theme. He says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. And so he was telling them, look, you, you guys, I, I don't want you to be ignorant. You've got the whole counsel of God there. You've got the Old Testament that you can be reading, that you can be studying. God has given us the history of Israel to learn from it's for us to read it's for us to study and I don't want you to be ignorant about this look at what happened to Israel when they were carried away by these idols and then he says chapter 12 then and how you it happened through your ignorance you were you were carried away carried away and that's going to be our word that we're looking at um, in second Corinthians chapter 10 being carried away Um, and so they were led captive if you would um, by these things, and so Paul was saying we shouldn't be doing that. So he rebukes um, the church for this inadvertent ignorance, and then why? Because this quote-unquote inadvertent ignorance is going to bring two results um, that we see first in Mark chapter 9. That's the passage we talked about two weeks ago with prayer and fasting, where Jesus, the they had brought the 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 young boy to him who was demon possessed and the disciples weren't able to cast it out Jesus comes down from the mount of transfiguration and um asks him what's going on and so he cast the demon out the, the disciples come later and they ask him why couldn't we cast it out and he said tells them um, because this kind only comes by prayer and fasting and so he he tells them that okay um and then he go, it goes on beginning of verse 30 he says then when they departed from there and passed through Galilee. And he did not want anyone to know it, for he taught his disciples and said to them, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And after he is killed, he will rise the third day. But they did not understand this saying. Literally, again, our word is they were ignorant. They were without knowledge of this saying and were afraid to ask him. So this this concept of ignorance, um, giving into this ignorance, allowing ignorance to be a stronghold in your life, is going to lead to fear that I'm afraid to show that I am ignorant. Well, honestly, where does that lead you? Um, What is that really a result of? Pride. Because I'm afraid to say that I don't know, that I don't have an answer, and so I've had to learn that years ago that sometimes there are people are going to ask me theological questions that I really don't know. And so I I share that a lot about the Trinity, the triunity of God. I know it's true. God's word declares it to be true, but how is it? I don't know. God hasn't revealed that to us. He's revealed that it's true, but he hasn't revealed, at least to my feeble brain, how that kind of works together and, and how the three are yet one and and Jesus being true God and true man comes to the earth and we struggle with that trying to look at the you know hundred percent man part or the hundred percent god part and 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 failing to comprehend how he really is both all at one time. That's okay. That's that's okay. It's good for us to admit the fact that we're not God. You know, it's kinda like we, we have we're afraid to admit that we're not God and we don't know everything. We're we're not omniscient and and all-knowing and everything and so we're not the second thing it leads to sadly but this is truthfully is judgment and then so we have there in Romans chapter 2 and I'm going to begin reading at verse 3 it says and do you think this oh man you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same that you will escape the judgment of God or do you despise the riches of his goodness forbearance and long-suffering not knowing being ignorant of that the goodness of God leads you to repentance but in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart you are treasuring up for yourselves wrath in the day of wrath in revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to each one according to his deeds eternal life to those who by patient continuance and doing good seek glory honor and immortality but to those who are self seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek. But glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For there is no partiality with God. Ignorance is not bliss. Yes, yeah, the saying. Ignorance is bliss. It's not bliss. It may be bliss for a moment, but in the end, when you come to the day of judgment, ignorance is not an excuse. Ignorance is not an excuse. Um, judgment is going to happen to those even who um, who don't know um, the truth. And so, so there's this inadvertent um, ignorance that's there, but really I think it's really all result then of this second part, and that is intentional ignorance, which we see in Second Peter 2 in chapter 3 when it's talking about these false teachers and how false teachers um, speak about things that they don't know of and that they are willfully forgetting um, creation. They're willfully forgetting the flood. And so you can go and you can check these out. But the, the idea is that, that there are these individuals who who purposefully are being ignorant. They're intentionally not having knowledge. And my struggle for Bob, and then for each of us, as we seek to apply all these things, is are there areas that I really honestly am in that inadvertent ignorance um, area, I'm really not inadvertently ignorant, but rather I'm more intentionally ignorant I am purposely not studying the scriptures. Um, We started this whole seven-year, which is now eight-year, going teaching through the entirety of the Bible with the statement from Paul in Acts 20, where he uh, shared that he had not shunned to declare to them the whole counsel of God. And so, in that, we've got the Word of God um, in our hands. Um, We have it in multiple versions, multiple languages. We, we, we don't have, a, we don't have a, a, an excuse, a reason to not know the word of God. And again, Jesus said to those Jews who believed on him, if you abide in my word, then you are my disciple indeed. And you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And so um, the question then is, are we doing that? Jude chapter 1, Jude chapter 1, there's only one chapter in Jude. In Jude verses 8 to 10, we again read about these false teachers as well who are ignorant of the truth, and therefore then they are teaching others. And we'll talk more about these guys um, as we get into chapter 11, so I'm not spending a lot of time on it, other than to say that the fact is that um, in that inadvertent ignorance, the sad thing is it becomes a stronghold. It becomes a stronghold, something that is that we we'll fight against when it really becomes the intentional ignorance when people are walling themselves behind or putting themselves behind this wall of ignorance, this excuse, I, 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 I'm not smart enough to understand. I'm not smart enough to know. That's, that's, that's a lie. It's a lie from the devil. Don't accept that. Jesus said that when he left, he would give his, his children, his disciples, his friends, a special gift. And that gift was the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit came, who we're told by Paul as well in Ephesians 1, would dwell within us as a guarantee of our, of our purchased possession, right? That when he came and dwelt within us, he would lead us into all truth. Well, you got to ask yourself, by faith, do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus was telling you the truth? That the Holy Spirit came and the Holy Spirit can lead you you individually, into all truth. I, again, believe that there's a reason for me being as a pastor teacher and for us coming together as an assembly where God will use us to provoke one another to love and good works and such. But individually, even if you didn't have this, if we were totally separated right now and we didn't have this opportunity to gather together, do you believe that you could be studying God's word on your own? And God would lead you into all truth. I think sometimes we become more dependent, too dependent upon teachers telling us what to believe, rather than depending upon God revealing to us what he has shared shared in his word. And so um, so I just want to encourage you in this about this stronghold of ignorance. I got to move on. Um, but this stronghold, stronghold of ignorance leads us in this stronghold of idolatry, which we saw from 1 Corinthians chapter one, in first in chapter twelve, verse one, in this discussion then of um, idolatry, because idolatry isn't um, we think of it as something that's past, but honestly, it's something that has gone on from the beginning. So ignore the warning part. I thought I actually had some information there under history, but this goes all the way back to the Tower of Babel and probably before the flood. Um, Though we're not given the details of what the totality of the wickedness of man was um, prior to Noah, when Noah and his sons come off the ark, soon thereafter, their descendants are making this ziggurat, this, this tower. And a ziggurat was a, um, a, a tower that had levels, and each level was dedicated to the worship of a different deity in, this, in a pantheistic kind of sense. And so you you read Genesis um, chapter 11, and you read that then they were making this tower to go all up to heaven. They wanted it to get all the way up into the heavens. And so there was a reason why um, some of the the teachings from before the flood happened. And so Noah um, or his sons um, had to be sharing some of the mythologies and stuff like that, that were actually there before the flood. We read about Israel in the wilderness when the, 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 the um, spies go into the land and they come back and they say, and we saw the Nephilim. We saw the Nephilim. Well, there's no way they saw the Nephilim. The Nephilim were killed in the flood. The Nephilim existed prior to the flood, but they would have been destroyed in the flood. And so um, so however that played out, the, 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 the stories of the Nephilim were brought such that even all the way to the days of the children of Israel coming out of Egypt, again a pantheistic, idolatrous land, that the children of Israel had grabbed a hold of that. Now, in our day today, in our day today, we have westernized this. We don't. I mean, there are some places where we have the uh, temples of Buddha and stuff like that where they might have these, but for the most part, in our Western cultures, we don't. We don't bow, or at least we don't think we bow to idols. We've westernized it. So for um, for Hinduism, we've brought it over in the in the form of science with with um, with yoga, scientific yoga, and meditation. And you know when when they get you to say certain words like Yom and Om or Om actually, Om Om Om. Do you realize that that's a Hindu god that you're calling upon? And so this whole concept of Eastern uh, Eastern meditation has been brought in where this causing your mind to be blanked out so it can be filled with something. No, that, that, that is of the devil. Biblical meditation is to be filled with God and filled with his word, not to be emptied of, of everything so that you can be filled with this evil spirit. And this, this, um, and that's where the, um, the, um, mediators, um, mediums come from where they're being filled with these spirits and, and they're, they're, they're being led by devils. And so we've got to be careful. And so, um, the Asherahs, the, the, the goddess of, of fornication, that's pornography. That I mean, that's the porn industry. And so we don't necessarily go to the temple of Asherah or the temple of Ishtar, um, but it is, I mean, by one click, you go to the, the temple to and, and glorify Satan and, 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 and follow after. And that's what we're told in 1 Corinthians uh, 10, by Paul, that behind each one of these idols is a demon. And so we've got to be careful. First John 5, 21, the very last verse of Paul of John's epistle to the church, he, he warns the people to flee from from idols, from idols. He doesn't talk about idols all the way through there, but but in a sense, that's how it all sums up. He says to the children, he says, Little children, keep yourselves from idols. First Corinthians 10 and 12, we read Revelation 2, verse 14, we read. Jesus talking to the church, he says, but I have a few things against you because you have there those who hold to the doctor, doctrine of Balaam who taught Balak to put a stumbling block for, before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. And so we don't necessarily read them about actually offering the sacrifices back in, in the Old Testament. What we read about is that they actually followed after the, the, the woman of Moab um, to ha- have fornication with them, and so, so again, this concept of idolatry. Um, I go so much into this, um, I, and I don't want to, but, um, but just even to say that, and this sounds so un-American. I don't mean this as rude, but Lady Liberty. Um, if you look up the the goddesses um, that that are that are out there, um, Semiramis. Um, you're going to see a picture of Lady Liberty. And so we have all this idolatry that's in our land right now. Jesus said in Matthew 6, you can't serve two gods. you got to decide who you're going to serve. You're either going to serve the true God or you're going to serve mammon, okay? And so um, Jesus warns us there. Um, Paul talks about that as well then in Acts 19. You can go and check this out and read about it. But the whole... um, conflict in Ephesus was all about the fact that in preaching the gospel people stopped buying all their their idols they stopped worshiping you know like think about sports today sports idols they stopped worshiping the sports and all of a sudden it had an effect upon the the local economy and it caused a riot because people weren't buying these these uh these idols of Diana anymore and it caused this big riot so um just think about that as a believer you know and and challenge yourself Am I following after some of the idols of the world? Again, then that leads naturally into this third stronghold, which is so hard for us to break, just as you know, following after sports idols and um, pornography and all those things, those all fall naturally right into this concept of iniquity. I mean, everything kind of ties in here. And again, that concept of ignorance that we started with, right? Well, I didn't know. I don't know how. Yes, you do know how. God's word is very clear about how we are to um, respond to all these things. In Romans 6, Paul talks about this slavery issue um, that we're under, this bondage thing that, that goes on, and he says, Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are the one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness, but God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of unrighteous, or became slaves of righteousness. We have this decision about which, if you would, stronghold we're going to run to. I'm either running to the stronghold of sin, iniquity, or I'm running to the stronghold of righteousness, Christ. And so I make the decision of who I want to be, if you would, enslaved to. And so he goes on in chapter 7 then, talking about this war that's going on between my flesh and my spirit, that there is two laws that are fighting after, um, against itself. And so you can see, excuse me, in the middle of the passage there on the screen, Romans 7, beginning of verse 20. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God, according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity, taking me captive to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. So the reality is that I've got a choice to make. Am I going to flee to Christ? Am I going to run to the stronghold of Jesus Christ? It's like Paul or Paul, I'm sorry, David talking about the, the, the God is my refuge in my strength. He is my fortress. Who is your fortress that you're going to run to? If it's yourself, if it's your own righteousness, if it's your own ability, undoubtedly you're going to fall and you're going to be behind, still within that stronghold of iniquity. The only one to, to tear down, the only way to pull down the, the stronghold of iniquity is to run to the stronghold of Christ. That's where it comes. And then in verse, in chapter 13, then that happens, Paul then gives us these details. And he says, and do this, knowing the time that now it is high time to wake out of sleep, For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in a day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. And you can see I have the Greek word there because that's forethought. Pro, the first, you can see, almost see pro there, noia, right? Pro means beforehand or toward. Noia is the way you think your mind. And so thinking ahead of time, the idea is that you, you're contemplating how you can feed your own flesh. All you're doing then is running and, and, and continually building and strengthening that stronghold in your own life. Pull down the stronghold, pull down the stronghold There is no temptation, a troublesome situation that is overtaking you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful and that he will not allow you to be troubled, tried, tested, tempted beyond what you're able to bear. But with the temptation will also make a way to escape, run to the stronghold of Christ. Um, You can read these other ones about um, iniquity as well. This, again, tells us how we do this. Um, faith has overcome the world 1 John 5, Joshua 1 and Psalm 19 talks about the place of the word of God that we can then overcome these things by meditating on the word of God, memorization that's why we memorize the word of God and if you think through Psalm 119 as we've been singing it, David or whoever was that wrote Psalm 119 talks about the fact that he's going through a lot of affliction and that, that God, and he's looking to God in through all these things and so it's his word that, that is the, that which then um, protects us from sin. And so Psalm 119, verse 11, there at the bottom of your screen, your word have I hidden my heart that I might not sin against you. But two verses earlier in verse 9, he says, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to your word. The word of God is is paramount in this battle. But this final one, and I know I'm running out of time here, is is really so important that I, I, I wanna just stress it to you as we go in here, and that is the final stronghold. I think it's the, probably the greatest stronghold um, for each of us, and it's the concept of intimidation. It's intimidation from within, intimidation from without. Um, it's the fear of man, and so these passages that you see, Acts 4 and Acts 5, this is the part where um, Peter and James and John were taken before the Sanhedrin, um, uh, Peter and John um, went to pray. They met a lame man on his way, right on the way, right. And so they they healed the lame man and they began to preach about Christ. And they were they were taken and they were they were um, they were um, challenged. They were threatened um, about speaking in the name of Christ. And they they came back to the Sanhedrin and said, "You guys try to figure this thing out. Do you think it's more important for us to obey you or to obey God?" And so they gave the gospel. That's in chapter four is when they say, you know, there is no other name under heaven given amongst men other than the name of Jesus, whereby we must be saved. And so um, they were then threatened about talking in the name of Jesus again, and they were released. They went to the church, uh, and that's when the church prayed, and they asked God to give them boldness that they wouldn't buckle to to the governing authorities, not letting them talk about the name of Jesus. And then the house shook. The Spirit of God came on them with power and might. And they began to proclaim the name of Jesus even more boldly. And so um, the apostles went out into the temple and they began to proclaim Christ. They were arrested, taken to the Sanhedrin. They were, again, threatened. And then they were flogged. And they were um, um, about um, they were thrown in jail and, uh, um, about this whole thing about preaching in the name of Jesus. And they said, look. We asked, we told you before, I mean, you guys figure it out. Do you think we ought to obey you or obey God? But since you can't figure it out, let's answer the question. We ought to obey God rather than men. And so they stood, they stood against the fear of man. Most of us, if we get an inkling of what these guys were going up against, we clam up. And again, we have got to pray for one another. That we are we're bold to again go out with our feet prepared with the preparation of the gospel of peace to proclaim his truth. Matthew 10, um, is when Jesus was sending out his disciples to preach, and he warned them. He warned them, look, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. And and when you go out, they are going to they're going to be opposed to you, persecution is going to come, but don't worry about it. I'm I'm always with you. Okay? And so don't worry, don't fear then those who were able to destroy your soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both your soul and then cast it into to hell. And so we need to fear God more than we fear man. And God has commanded us, commanded us to go, to go, to make disciples baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and teaching them whatsoever things that Jesus has taught us. That's the command that we have. And so it really is a decision whether we fear God or whether we fear man. Galatians one, then Paul talks about that sums it up. He says, look, if I'm only doing things to please man, then, then the object of my ministry is totally wrong. But my goal is to, to please God. But, That fear of man honestly lends into this final phase here, really, which is the the whole thing, and maybe tying all ignorance back into this coming in, because this is um, not inadvertent ignorance. We all know this truth, and this is the fear of death, Um, and that is, why do we really fear man? Well, we fear what man can do to us. Well, what can man do to you? The worst thing that man can do to you is the best thing that they can do to you or at least the worst thing that they think they can do to you, they think killing you stops you. But the reality is when they quote unquote kill me, all they do is separate me from my tent. And to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so the worst thing that they can do to me is the best thing that they can do to me. I get to spend time with my Lord. Matthew 16 verse 18 um, is the passage where Jesus is talking to Peter and he talks about in the gates of hell um, will not prevail against it. Literally though. And, and this has been a good study for me this week because literally it says the gates of Hades. Um, And it's really the, the gates of death. Hades is the place of death. And so for years, I've I've talked about the gates of hell and Satan and stuff like that. And I realized this week that really he's talking really there about death. now, It's the end result then of where do I go after I die? Well, I've got confidence because of the truth of God's word, not because of what I believe, not because of some religion, because God declared it uh, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I know that when I die, I get to be in his presence. It doesn't get much better than that. And so I have to ask myself, do I believe it or don't believe it? 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is the passage you know very well, part of the Messiah this time of the year, right? O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? You know, and so that Jesus has conquered death. The the victory is in Christ. Death has no hold on us any longer. And I want to read Hebrews 2 because that's that's what this whole thing is talks about. Hebrews 2 verse 14 to 15, it says, Inasmuch then, as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself, that's Christ, likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Do you get it? Really? This stronghold, when you bring all this together, in the end, the greatest stronghold is your fear of death. And I I challenge you to to think about whether um, the fear of death really is then within it, the fear of judgment. I think that's why most people are afraid of death. They don't know what's coming on the other end. But ah, that's inadvertent ignorance. I think there is that intentional ignorance where God, Romans chapter 1, has placed it within each one, each individual, that they inwardly know that when they die, they're going to give an account. And they don't want to give an account. And, um, and so, hence, we try to avoid death as long as we can. We think that this is what there is. This is the best that there is, and it's not. And um, so, for you and I, we need to realize that Christ has, has conquered um, sin. And so Romans eight, you know, what can separate us from the love of God? There's nothing, nothing. And there's a whole list then of things that, that cannot separate us from the love of Christ because of what he has done for us, not because of what we've done, but because of what he's done. And so what stronghold are you currently seeking to overcome? Do you struggle then with, um, the stronghold of ignorance? You can overcome that. What about the stronghold of iniquity? What about the stronghold um, of idolatry? What about the stronghold then um, of fear? My mind's blanking out of my own my own words here. Um, intimidation. And so, are you afraid of people? Um, of of what's happening? Have you given yourself over to these things? You don't need to, because Jesus has. Come to give you victory over these things are you trusting in the power strength and victory of Christ how do you view the ultimate battle is it about you or about the kingdom of God that really where it plays out because again remember this is all resistance to the truth this is all um, how whether from within or from without this, this whole battle against the truth being revealed and so if I allow Satan to have that work in my life, then I'm giving him the victory. It's about his kingdom, not about God's. Again, there is no, there is no middle ground on this thing. You can't say, well, I'm just kind of in the, in the middle on this thing. You, there's no middle. Jesus said you can't serve two masters. It's one or the other. And so finally then, is there the need to change the way you think and therefore change the way you act? Let's go ahead and pray. Father, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your word. I thank you that you desire to give us total victory in the Lord Jesus. And you already have, Lord. It's, it's ours to claim, ours to live. Lord, we don't walk in it because we don't run to you. Rather, we run to ourselves. We run to our own shelters. We run to our own strongholds, the strongholds of ignorance, the stronghold of idolatry, the stronghold of iniquity, the strongholds of intimidation. Lord, forgive us for that. Help us, Lord, by your grace and by your power, by your strength, to pull down those strongholds. Lord, I know that you've declared in your word that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I know, Lord, that I do not have to give into those troublesome situations, those trials, those tribulations, those temptations that come into my life, but that you have promised, Lord, that you would strengthen me to be able to stand against these things. But rather, I should count it all joy because you have allowed these things into my life in order to, to cause me to grow in faith and to grow in patience, Lord, that you might receive the glory in and through my life. Oh, Father, I pray that you would be magnified, Lord. I pray that you would be glorified in my life and in the life of this assembly, individually, each one. Lord, you know each what each one of us are struggle with. Pride, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, you know it, Lord. And I pray that you would work in each one of us, revealing to us what we need to work on, and that we would seek to give you the glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.